Good morning. I'm Arjun Singh from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, February 8th. In today's news, senior Democrats plan to unveil a $3,000 per child benefit as the Biden stimulus gains steam. And new Biden rules for ICE point to fewer arrests and deportations and a more restrained agency. But first, the big idea. As the Senate prepares to hear arguments in former President Donald Trump's impeachment trial, recently revealed documents from federal prosecutors have shown just how strong Trump's influence was on those who stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. The Post's Rosalind Helderman, Spencer Shu, and Rachel Weiner report that in one set of documents, an Ohio bartender said she began planning some kind of action after Trump lost the presidential election in November and recruited dozens of others to join her cause. Trump wants all able-bodied patriots to come, she wrote to an alleged co-conspirator on December 29th, eight days before sieging the Capitol. And as Democrats get ready to argue that Trump was the primary motivator for those who stormed the Capitol, their case is being bolstered by information coming out of the federal court system. Court documents show that a common theme is Trump's pull on his supporters, and dozens charged in the attacks have specifically cited Trump and his calls to gather that day as their primary reason for traveling to Washington. Even when not listed by name, the documents show Trump's influence on several charged rioters, with some citing falsehoods promoted by Trump as their reason for participating. Others came prepared for battle. According to prosecutors, a QAnon supporter from Pittsburgh, who participated in the attack, directly told an associate days before the Capitol attack that if Trump told him to storm the Capitol, he would. In an 80-page brief filed last week, House impeachment managers made clear the crux of their argument will be that the former president fomented the conditions for the storming of the Capitol long before his speech on January 6th. They assert that the violence was virtually inevitable after Trump spent months falsely claiming that the election had been stolen from him. He amplified these lies at every turn, seeking to convince supporters that they were victims of a massive electoral conspiracy that threatened the nation's continued existence, the House impeachment managers wrote. Meanwhile, Trump's lawyers have dismissed those charges and they've denied that Trump's attacks on the integrity of the 2020 election can be proven false. The 45th president exercised the First Amendment right under the Constitution to express his belief that the election results were suspect, attorneys Bruce Castor Jr. and David Schoen wrote in a response to the trial summons. In addition to arguing that it is unconstitutional to allow a former president to be tried in an impeachment trial, Castor and Schoen will argue that the president's language in his fiery speech delivered just before the riot was too tame to inspire a riot. As evidence, they point to the fact that Trump urged supporters to peacefully march to the Capitol and made no direct calls for violence. Yet, while the last few weeks have seen a reckoning within the Republican Party over how to interpret the events of January 6th, many in the party still support the former president. Republicans like Wyoming Representative Liz Cheney have faced a backlash from some in the GOP for endorsing Trump's second impeachment. While some Republicans have openly expressed their dismay or even outright anger with how Trump conducted himself leading up to and after the events of January 6th, House impeachment managers appear unlikely to secure a conviction in the Senate. With a majority of Republicans already having signaled their plans to vote against a conviction, Trump could be the first president in American history to have been impeached and acquitted twice. And that's the big idea. Here are two other stories that should be on your radar. Number one, 
Senior Democrats will unveil legislation today that will aim to provide parents $3,000 per child per year as part of President Biden's $1.9 trillion economic relief package. My colleague Jeff Stein reports, under the proposal, the IRS would provide $3,600 over the course of the year per child under the age of 6, as well as $3,000 per child of ages 6 to 17. The size of the benefit would diminish for Americans earning more than $75,000 per year, as well as for couples jointly earning more than $150,000. The payments would be sent monthly beginning in July, a delay intended to give the IRS time to prepare for the massive new initiative. The bill is being spearheaded by Massachusetts Congressman and Chair of the House Ways and Means Committee Richard Neal, and comes on the heels of a similar proposal by Republican Senator Mitt Romney last week. The pandemic is driving families deeper and deeper into poverty, and it's devastating. The money is going to be the difference in a roof over someone's head or food on their table, Neil said in a statement. This is how the tax code is supposed to work for those who need it most. Despite Romney's support, though, several Republicans have come out criticizing similar measures for providing aid to both working and non-working Americans, setting the stage for a partisan clash over the new benefits. Biden's proposed child benefit has quickly emerged as a potentially defining feature of his administration's economic agenda, one that could make a lasting imprint on American welfare policy. Its execution could also prove crucial to deciding Democrats' ability to maintain control of Congress, given its likely direct impact on the lives of tens of millions of voters. America is one of the highest rates of child poverty in the developed world, according to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, in part because it spends less on child benefits than almost any other. Neal's plan would only create the new benefit for one year, but congressional Democrats and White House officials have said they would push for the policy to be made permanent later in the year. An analysis by Columbia University researchers of Biden's proposal found it would cut the number of children in poverty by as much as 54%, the equivalent of 5 million children. More than 1 million black children would be lifted out of poverty by the plan, the researchers found. But others contend that the plan could be bogged down in administrative gridlock, while others have voiced concerns for families who grapple with sharp fluctuations in their family's income. There's something symbolically important about this being a universal child benefit, Sam Hammond, an economist at the right-leaning Niskinsen Center, said. Overall, Neil's plan would be unequivocally a massive win against child poverty, but it could do more to clean up the administrative complexity of the current system by making the payment universal. Number two. The U.S. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement Agency is preparing to issue new guidelines to agents this week that could sharply curb arrests and deportations as the Biden administration seeks to exert more influence over an agency that was given wide latitude under the previous administration. The Post, Nick Miroff, and Maria Sacchetti report that while ICE's new operational plans are not yet final, interim instructions sent to senior officials point to a major shift in enforcement. Agents will no longer seek to deport immigrants for crimes such as driving under the influence and assault, and will focus instead on national security threats, recent border crossers, and people completing prison and jail terms for aggravated felony convictions. While the move is part of President Biden's attempts to reorient the American immigration system, agents on the ground have expressed frustration that the new rules will make it more difficult for them to arrest and deport criminals. 
They've abolished ICE without abolishing ICE, said one distraught official who spoke on the condition of anonymity because that person was not authorized to speak to the media. The pendulum swing is so extreme, it literally feels like we've gone from the ability to fully enforce our immigration laws to now being told to enforce nothing. Agents seeking to arrest fugitives outside of jails and prisons will need prior approval from the agency's director in Washington, justifying the decision while explaining how the enforcement action constitutes an appropriate allocation of limited resources, according to a draft memo circulating at the agency. Under the Trump administration, ICE played a central role in the former president's immigration agenda and was frequently praised by Trump and his allies who exhorted them to deport, quote, millions, unquote, of immigrants. But the agency's more aggressive enforcement posture also caused the deportation of families, business owners with community ties, and minor traffic offenders, triggering a backlash that included calls from some Democrats to, quote, abolish ICE. On the campaign trail, Biden expressed remorse for the relatively high number of deportations that occurred during his time in office as vice president and pledged to rein in the agency but not outright abolish it. Agency officials have expressed surprise at the administration's new guidances and said that while they were prepared for a change, they did not think it would be this strict according to preliminary memos and emails obtained by the Post. Other critics like Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton have charged that the administration's policies will make it easier for criminals to remain in the country who could have been deported, but the policy has also received praise from former ICE officials like John Sandwig, an acting ICE director under the Obama administration, who said the preliminary guidance was a good step forward. No one judges the FBI by the number of arrests they make. They judge them by the quality of arrests, Sandwig said. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, February 8th. I'm Arjun Singh. Thanks for listening.